HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. There, you're listening to Let's Eat In. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and this is Heritage Radio Network. Today, I'm talking to Kirsten Rogers, who is here just on a brief trip from London. And she has joined us because she is researching um, supper clubs, underground supper clubs, and artisanal food makers, because she happens to be involved with that a lot in London with her own supper called, called the Underground Restaurant. Very appropriately enough. Thanks so much, Kristen. (laughs) Um, I'm also known as Miss Marmite Lover. You're not going to find too many of those over here. (laughs) No, I don't think so. Um, But uh, Marmite, have you had it? Have you tried it? No. It's a sort of thick, dark brown, salty I've had Vegemite. It's very similar to Vegemite. It's the British version of Vegemite. Yeah, that's the Australian (laughs) one. Same thing. Um, so, first of all, when I started, um, obviously I wasn't sure about the legality of what I was doing. And my blogging name was Ms. Marmite Lover. And it's only recently that I've let people know my real name. Oh, sorry. That's fine. No, that's fine. Okay. Because I've got the book coming out mid April and that's under my real name. So. Oh, okay. So, no transition. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. This is Kirsten Rogers. Okay. Um, and your Twitter name is still Ms. Marmite Lover. Ms. Marmite Lover. And you tweet quite a lot. The blog is Marmite marmitelover.blogspot.com you also have um is that the underground restaurants uh i have a group site as well which might be very useful for Mm -hmm. listeners um it's called supperclubfangroup.ning.com and it has a worldwide directory of supper clubs underground restaurants and home restaurants oh my goodness so while i've been here um i've went to visit some of the ones I'd already heard about here, particularly in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, I've discovered a bunch more. So I'm going to be adding those to the list. Terrific. And so, okay, what is a supper club? Um, a supper club is a generic term for um, underground restaurant or home restaurant or pop-up restaurants. So it's not a conventional high street restaurant. It's uh, often in someone's home uh, there's often a fixed menu or a themed menu, uh, large tables which you mix with other people. You meet other people because in a conventional restaurant, when do we meet other people? We never do. <laughs> We're not encouraged to talk to other tables, uh-huh. are we? 
Um, and what else is there? Uh, it's, sometimes it's amateur chefs. Sometimes it can be professional chefs who perhaps want to do a different kind of food from the restaurant that they're working in. Right. Um, I see this. This is so interesting that you're writing about it and people are really catching on to this. There was actually just last week in AM New York, there was a little yes. list of, of supper clubs you got to check out. And yeah. Studio Feast was in it. Some Four oh, Course oh, Vegan. You went, to, you went to Four Course Vegan. I went there last Saturday night, uh, Chef Matteo and his girlfriend Carly, who was doing front of house. That was fantastic. And you went to Brooklyn Edible Social Club. On this Saturday night, just gone. Um, uh, that's uh, his name's Andreas. Andreas, yes. Andres, yes. Something with a V, the last name, I forget. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been to that one. It's very high end food, his. Uh, he is a professionally trained chef. He worked at the French Laundry. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, very good food. So, what does that blur the line between what is an underground restaurant and also does all this publicity and uh, you know talk about it and mm-hmm. does that because you know usually um, a lot of people had this thought that they were secret, they were like you know word of mouth only. Yes, I think. Um the food regulations seem to be stricter over here in the United States. Uh, it seems like people have to be a little bit more careful about the secrecy. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's illegal. <laughs> yeah, in Britain, I'm not sure if it is. Uh-huh. Um, I'm the first one there. I studied two years ago. And mm-hmm. first of all, I was quite careful. I was very, you know, careful to be not use my real name, not give out my address. Um But I've had my kitchen inspected and passed by the local council, the local environmental health officer. Um, I've got public liability insurance. I pay my taxes. So Mm -hmm. I'm doing everything I possibly can to be legal. So it is an an LLC, I guess we'd call it here. I don't know if it's called over there, but it is a business that you have. It it is turned into a business. I think if you do it once in a while, then fine. But if you're doing it every week, as I do... Uh, you know, you have to declare it. Every week, and... yeah. Did it start out as a hobby, just like a fun um, I was, dinner party? I was chefing at various uh, restaurants, things like sort of anarchist vegan co-op cafes. And uh, I was they're, chefing they're... in unusual places. <laughs> a bit like Roberta's here, similar vibe. <laughs> nice. you know? and, um, and basically I wanted to do my own food and I didn't have the backing of the money to set up my own restaurant. So I thought, I have a nice apartment. I have a, an Arga oven, which is a, a large uh, cast iron oven that's on all the time. Um, why don't I do it here? Mm-hmm. I announced it on my food blog. And next thing I knew, uh, loads of people came out of the woodwork, wanted to come. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if anyone that's would come. Crazy. And the, the Guardian uh, newspaper came to the very first night, which <gasps> was quite scary. Wow. What do you serve? My first menu, I think I did roasted tomato and garlic soup, um, mm. gratin dauphinois with smoked salmon, salad. What's dauphinois? Dauphinois no. is a, a thinly sliced potato in loads and loads of double cream, very thick cream, mm. <laughs> and, ro- and baked for a long time. So we would call that potatoes au gratin. Would you? Here. Okay. Gratin. Rotten, whatever. <laughs> I, I like I like potato dishes. I'm a big fan of carbs. I think carbs are. <laughs> I want to open a restaurant just called Carbs. <laughs> hey, that doesn't sound too far. But we got butter, we got fat, something, yeah. potatoes, bread. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of those fun names. Um, 
That's funny. So, so okay, so it was a big splash and it was a success. And then you're like, hey, I'm going to do this. Absolutely. The first six months, um, it was crazy, actually, because I was learning how to run a restaurant in my front room. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, I was kind of dealing quite a lot of media and TV yeah. and radio all getting in touch. That's exciting. Though. It was very and exciting. Quite people dizzying, are getting though. behind it. But you did it because you wanted to create your own menu and do it your own way. Absolutely. And have fun with it. Absolutely. Which you can do, you know, if you're working in a restaurant that's somebody else's restaurant, I guess. Um, I, I'm like also, complete... I'm not very employable. <laughs> uh, I, can't, I can't take orders very well. <laughs> so I have to do what I want to do, yeah, you know. Yeah, um, I'm, you. I'm a self-motivator, a bit of an entrepreneur, but I can't, yeah, I'm not very good at working for other people. Well, there's always going to be, um, you know, people working for you then. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I mean, first of all, I had lots of volunteers, at my front of house, uh, kitchen assistants, a lot of people asked to come and help. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes because they wanted to start up their own and they wanted to learn how to do it. Right. Um, nowadays, I have certain valued regular volunteers who I pay, but... Mm-hmm. At the beginning, I didn't have to pay for stuff. Okay. So uh, it seems like the more, and I've started a supper club too, which is uh, now in kind of uh, remission, um, the Hoppa <laughs> Kitchen. And I've I've done a lot of other supper clubs with um, Michael Serino, who we were hanging out with the other day, yeah. and Daniel Castagno from A Razor Shiny Knife. And they would say that, you know, a lot of people say to a, a someone who runs a, a supper club, why don't you become a chef and open your own restaurant? And they would say, well, this has nothing to do with a restaurant. We're Absolutely. doing things that are, it's a theatrical production and it's different every time. Absolutely. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a restaurant. It's in I, yeah, I, I take care not to do restaurant style food. Mm-hmm. And actually, the, the pro chefs bound by those expectations. I absolutely. Guess, I mean, for instance, New Year's Eve, I did a meal in which I made a gingerbread village. Uh, lots of houses. That's uh, cool. And uh, it, actually, you could call it a gingerbread slum. And everybody could. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit crooked. <laughs> You've got to learn a lot about Broken architecture. Broken candy windows and yeah, graffiti, ganache. <laughs> so, and then I put one of these houses on each table. And at the end for dessert, oh they gosh. got to smash it up and eat it. Aww. You'd never get that in a normal restaurant, No, you would wouldn't. You? And, and, you know, it's totally different. You're right. So it's, it's much more theatrical food. I'm both in the kitchen and I come out and talk to all the customers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, as I said, I do a lot of themed meals. I did one meal based on the Virgin Mary. Uh, <laughs> what did that have in it? Oh, that was a, a lot of what they call Marian type foods. Things like rosemary or marigold. These are all foods that are associated Mary. with the Virgin Mary. Okay. Um, uh, Mary. And, yeah, I, I had things like lots of cheeses made by monks and nuns. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, you had virgin cocktails. No, uh, I did have yeah. a Bloody Mary. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So I, I'm also thinking that this is a trend that I see a lot, and you know, the success of your restaurant, underground restaurant, the underground restaurant, and other underground supper clubs has taken everyone, um, you know, maybe by surprise, but it's it's been definitely a huge reaction. Um, yeah. yeah, they've become very popular, and I see a trend in restaurants that are actually going in ways that are unconventional. Absolutely, like yeah. Momofuku Co. Yes, one example. Um, there's that place. What happens when? Have you heard of that? I've not heard of that. It's like it's it's 
it was in the Times a few weeks ago, and the the premise is like the decor is going to change constantly. The food's always going to change um, because they're the restaurant is actually only going to be there for a year, so they're not investing on any fancy silverware or anything like that. Yeah, it's going to be this pop up basically for a year. Excellent. Um, and you know, even something like daily changing menus is really. Yes. taken on and that's a great thing you know because it's seasonal but people the average diner it changes your experience a little because you don't know what's going to happen and people expect to order the same thing all the time sometimes um and yay you're going to be surprised i mean we all have certain restaurants which do certain dishes that we we love we you know we go to that place for our spaghetti vongole or whatever and that is really nice and comforting but it is nice to play around with the concept. I do think it also keeps the, the owners and the people that, the chefs, the people that work in the restaurant more alert, more alive, more enjoying it. It doesn't feel like a proper job, mm-hmm. just a production line. And it keeps you and the cooks, I guess, feeling creative because you get to come up with something different every time, every week yes. for you, in your case. I definitely think that the conventional restaurant industry are adopting the clothes of the underground restaurants. Yeah. Um, now more of them are doing prepay um, and fixed menus and shared tables and some of the things that right. we've shared pioneered. Um, I mean, one of the things I realised very early on, the first week, in fact, is I have to get people to pay in advance because <laughs> I have no walk-in traffic. And <laughs> the first week, three people who promised they were going to come didn't turn up. Uh. And then suddenly I'd made a loss. I had all these <laughs> ingredients, you know, which they didn't come. So I got in touch with a... Um, a ticket company that normally sold tickets for rock concerts. And I said, look, do you want to sell tickets for my dinners? And they'd never heard of this before. I mean, now everybody's mm-hmm. doing it. But um, well, a lot of people haven't heard of what the heck are you doing? I have to explain <laughs> to people all the time. I'm like, no, it's like, uh, they're like, you're a caterer? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and also the great thing about running a supper club or an underground restaurant is, I mean, I'm open one night a week. Um, I think the you know, the grind of going in every single day. I mean, as we all know, the kitchen is a, it's a tough place. It's a tough mm-hmm. work environment. Um, and chefs work 16 hours a day every day. And, and that that's exhausting. Mm-hmm. So I can choose, especially as a woman and as a mother, I can choose my hours more. And yeah. Plus the fact I'm working from home. It's a great entrepreneurial match, actually. Yeah. So consistency is on the out in terms of not only food, but also people's schedule, you know. Absolutely. It changes up all the time. That's exciting. Yes. Um, so you have a song we're going to put on, and we'll be right back. This is, uh, this is Kirsten's song she picked. Thing. The ice is coming, the sun's zooming in 
meltdown expected The wheat is good there Engines stuck on it But I have no fear Cause London is drowning All right, London is calling. Uh, this is Let's Eat In. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and this is Kirsten Rogers from London. Um, just in town for about a week. Ten days. Ten it's days. It's been great. I've loved it here. And what did you get to do while you're here? Um, yes, you went to two supper clubs? I went, yeah, Four Calls Vegan and Brooklyn Edible Social Club. Um, I wanted to see more, but it's hard to get it, you know, to schedule yeah, it. Because kind of they are quite sporadic, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons my... my other site supper club fan group uh, ning.com um is is good because you can see the list in advance write to them all say before you're going on, on vacation and try and book in nights before you go because mm-hmm. if you leave it until you're there it's probably too late they're That's probably full up one of the other differences you have to actually plan ahead to go to a supper club you can't yes yeah it's limited places they don't do it all the time so you have to book in advance but since I've been here, I've been trying to meet sort of DIY food people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like there's a tremendous scene going on here, particularly in Brooklyn. Um, people, the krauters, the picklers, the fermenters, the cheesemakers. What cheese was the first thing you said? The clout- krauters, making krauters, various yeah, yeah. sauerkraut, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and I've tried to encourage that in London. I've set up uh, something called the Underground Farmers and Craft Market. Oh wow! In my house, my two-bedroom apartment. I have also got a garden. I had three of these um, farmers markets last year. The last one was in December, and I had forty-five stalls, and five hundred people came. Hmm. Do you think that? I mean, these are traditional crafts, right? Making crowd yes. and pickles. Is it not so common in London? It's- it hasn't quite caught on. Yeah. Uh, the canning craze has not quite caught on in Britain yet, but it will do. I'm, well, I'm going to try and make sure it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I guess we do have a canning craze here. Now that yeah, we think about the it. The canvolution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> canning is cool. Um, I think I wrote a headline that said that. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good one, no. But we've got Um, a lot of cheesemakers now. People are smoking things in their back garden, smoking fish, uh, making rillettes, uh, various kind of, you know, smoked meats. Oh, yeah. And pâtés. There's a new guy, uh, Brooklyn Cured, over here. Ah. I'd like to talk to. Um, Good stuff, rillette. Wow. These are, these are um, you know, these are so rewarding to do by yourself because you can really play around with it and anything yes. goes. I mean, with the spices and pickles, I, I think that growing up, I thought pickles were only garlic and dill. Yeah. But, or, or cucumbers, you could pickle anything. Yes, absolutely. I think that's what the creativity is what, what brings people onto it, maybe. A fermented food more. is very good for you. It's good for your, for your gut, the fauna and flora of your gut. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I've been trying to encourage people to do that. Um, my house, by giving them a forum, um, mm. I've charged nothing Carbs, so far. then pickle. To <laughs> Carbs and pickles, they go together well, don't they? <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I have in the kitchen, because, I mean, normally you go to a farmer's market, it's in some car park somewhere, a bit mm-hmm. windblown, it's a bit miserable. Right. Um, how I've reversed it. What I've did is I didn't charge the stall holders, I st- charged people to come in. To, to come into my house. Oh. 
So I had an entrance fee. Oh, wow. And then, so in the kitchen, for instance, there were cooking demonstrations. That's a new idea. I was using every part of the house. It's like an experience, too. It's definitely an experience. It is an experience when you go to somewhere like Brooklyn Flea or even the Green Market. I mean, you get to meet the farmers and talk to them. How cool is that? Yes. And people pay to go to panels where you could see the same farmers. Hey, you could see them in action doing their thing if you just walk into the Green Market. That's what I like to say. Anyway. (laughs) And, well... People, we had a kind of Dragon's Den. Um, that's a TV program in Britain in which um, millionaires, basically, people pitch their business idea to various mm-hmm. millionaires and they see if they want to back it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did a, there was no millionaires involved, but we had um, uh, people who deal with food, like grocers um, and food industry experts and small um, companies came and pitched their hey, idea. that's a cool idea. And you hosted that or yes. organized it? Yeah. Oh, wow. And that was part of the farmer's market. Hey, we market. should do that here. It's really, it was, it was fascinating just to listen. Like someone came with their salad dressing and, and they were <laughs> saying, oh, the bottle size is wrong. You need to get a bottle that fits mm. on the shelf. Um, you know, lots of little things that you just don't think about. That's really interesting. And to see what people are thinking of making too and yeah making cool so your book you're writing a book about this absolutely well i've written a book on supper clubs it's called supper club recipes and notes from the underground restaurant love it it's published by HarperCollins. it's available on amazon.co.uk you can pre-order it now so it will okay. be out on april the 14th in um, America? It, it will be out on Amazon.co.uk. Oh, oh, okay. Cool. But I think uh, there's a lot of interest in America in this book. So hopefully it will be published right. uh, in the States and as well. And it covers um, where? It, everywhere? It's, it's basically, um, it's partially a cookbook. Mm-hmm. It's also got guest recipes from other supper club hosts. Uh, it's a great. how-to. That's terrific. Um, you know, a 12 step program oh. on how to start your own supper club. That's fun. <laughs> and a bit about my background and the history of supper clubs. Um, and at the back, it's got a worldwide directory of supper clubs. We'll have to have a book exchange. Absolutely. I should have brought you a book. I wrote a whole uh, chapter about supper clubs. Oh, did you? Yeah, in The Art of Eating. Oh, yeah. wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, at that time, there was only one book written in, really about this new wave of supper clubs yeah. called Secret Suppers. I've got that book, yeah. yeah. Um, but a lot has changed. I think it's evolved. I think, I think so. It's spread a lot. And, and my, the book I've got, I mean, it's quite high production values. It's oh, very glossy. Cool. It's all full of color. Oh, wow. It's beautifully designed. And, and um, I said by cover, like, do, is it for in London or is it it's, um, all over? Uh, I've got um, guest recipes from New Zealand. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, a lot of them are British. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm hoping um, another book I'm going to do is going to be more concentrating on international supper clubs. That's great. So that's one of the reasons I'm here. I'm researching that for the future. Oh, Wow. But, Good luck uh, with that. That's going to be a fun journey. I, yeah, I mean, imagine. I mean, there's loads of it in Buenos Aires in uh, in Argentina. Really? It's a huge. It's Latin America. It's a huge place for supper clubs. Oh, I'd like to know like the cultural reasons why, um, because yeah. I have a pretty good understanding of why people start them in New York, um, but. Well, I first started mine because um, I didn't even know about the ones in the States at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because I went to Cuba in the year 2000 and I visited Paladares, which are like home restaurants. And that's where I got the idea from. I thought, well, this would work really well in London. I mean, when you're a tourist, you go to a big city, New York or London, 
and you look at the sites and you eat at the restaurants you're supposed to eat at but you never really feel like you know the place you don't necessarily meet a new yorker or a londoner mm-hmm. you don't go to their house um yeah. and that makes a difference <laughs> so it's on the long term at the moment it's quite trendy but i think on a long-term basis it will last because it's actually fantastic for tourism yeah that is true you can start that up wow and let's talk about the downsides are there any uh you know, issues involving legality that, they, I mean, that's a concern for a lot of folks. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't fully know the differences between here and Britain. But I mean, I've had problems because, for instance, I'm called the Underground Restaurant and London Underground, the tube system, the subways oh, really? are suing me <laughs> because they have trademarked the word underground. They, they can't do that. OK, there I know the Underground um Food Club, what are they, in, based in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, have you heard of them? I think so, yeah. I mean, other, everybody uses the word underground in their I know. companies. It's, so why it's our the word, it's not their them? word. Yeah. I, I think this is a worrying trend that companies, corporations, oh. are trying to grab parts of our language, our common language, and, and turn it into a, a commercial thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, underground has more meanings than, I mean, I'm not running a mass transit system. <laughs> How about we we um, trademark the word food? Yeah, <laughs> Nobody well, can use food. Yeah, well, I'm sh- I, I'm sure Club? a company would has tried. <laughs> <laughs> or Apple, just, you know, have they trademarked Apple? All right. What about um, restaurants? Do you have, hear any complaints? Like you're taking away business? I a little bit first of all, but actually, I think I've had a lot of support from the the really? conventional restaurant industry. Yes, I think they've. They've realised, I mean, I'm doing 30 covers a week. Mm-hmm. I'm not really taking away business from them. Yeah, one, you know, once a week. Yeah. yeah, you know, if I was going on every night, perhaps it would be a bit different. Um, I think they've, as I said, they've adopted a lot of tricks from us. And, and they've realised that, I think, if you're interested in food, um, I think it encourages the whole food industry. If people are interested in food, they're gonna, probably going to go to more conventional restaurants as well as supper clubs. Right. So it's a boost for the whole industry. That's what I think, too. It's expanding the range of experiences that you can have with food. Absolutely. I mean, I I remember years ago uh, when I lived in Los Angeles, I used to see these advertising placards saying, when you're here in Los Angeles, go and visit Knott's Berry Farm, uh, Disneyland, and go to the beach. And the people who paid for that advert was Knott's Berry Farm. And you think, why were they advertising Disneyland? Well, the reason why is because every time somebody, when their visit, visitor figures went up, they went up for Disneyland as well. I mean, they, they went up across the industry. People uh-huh. wouldn't just visit one um, uh, yeah, attraction. Like how can I make a trip for the? Yeah, access? let's yeah. do let's do all of it. So, as I said, you know, I think it's good for the whole industry. All right. And and same with your food markets too. I think. Yeah, I think yeah, so. From the supermarkets or whatever underground markets. Food is the new rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I can't wait to hear more about it. And I hope somebody uh, we had we have our markets here, but um, that's a really interesting concept. Yeah, I, at Brooklyn Flea yesterday, I saw there's one woman making ginger syrup. I think she started a supper club as well. Oh, really? It was absolutely gorgeous. There was people making their own chocolate. Um, all kinds of things. It's very mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. And the folks at, at your market are they like all licensed uh, food makers? Nope. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that's why it's underground. 
But for people worried about safety and food hygiene, well, when you go to dinner at a a friend's house, do you go and inspect their kitchen, first of all? Mm -mm. You you trust them. Um, People who are doing this, because let's face it, with food, it's lots of hours, you don't make a lot of money, it's because you love it. And if you love it, you don't want to poison people. Yeah. You're going to take a lot of care to make sure that your your kitchen's clean. it's easier to do it once a week, too, and to do it with care. Yeah. So my kitchen is a lot cleaner than a lot of professional kitchens I've worked I, in. I can imagine you do it, and you make food with more TLC Absolutely. than the short order cook. I think so. Yeah. So I don't think it's a problem. I don't think people should worry about that. I think we just uh, vindicated ourselves. <laughs> <then>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, I'm sorry that today's your last day, but I'm so glad you could make it here. And um, I'll be reading about your um, adventures. Check out Kirsten's adventures in Brooklyn on her blog, marmitelover.blogspot.com. That's also her tweet name. And um, if I'm ever in London, I'll have to check out your restaurant because it sounds really tasty. Thank you. The actual blog's called The English Can Cook. Oh, okay. There we go. (laughs) I'll check that out soon. Thanks so much, Kirsten. Thanks so much, Kathy. Good luck on your book. Thank you. See ya.